As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. Today on the podcast, we talked with Rob Walling, founder of Drip, co host of Startups for the Rest of Us, and co creator of MicroConf. Rob talks all about how they've used their podcast and conference to build an incredibly loyal audience and how that has affected his product at various stages of development and growth. He also weighs in on whether it's necessary or not to have an audience at all in order to grow and scale your product. This is definitely one of our favorites. Enjoy. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. 
Go to codeship.com slash rocketship to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision App forward slash rocketship to get the starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocketship to start sending emails that convert. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here with Rob Walling, the founder of Drip and the host of a great podcast called Startups for the Rest of Us. Rob, thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, For those who don't know, why don't you uh, just give us a little bit of background on Drip? Sure. So uh, Drip is a software as a service application. It's basically lightweight marketing automation. So uh, it it sends emails based on the behavior of your customers, potential customers, trial users, and everywhere in between. Fantastic. And how long have you been uh, focused on that? Um, I've really been focused for, we've been working on it for about 18 months. Um, I've been focused on it for just about 13 months, pretty hard since just after last microconf. And then we launched it uh, last November, which is about nine months ago. And have really been toiling away at it since then. And that's another thing that you do is you host this uh, conference called MicroConf, which I always hesitate to tell people about because it sold out in about 25 minutes last year. Right. Yeah. Uh, MicroConf is a conference for self-funded startup founders, self-funded software business founders. And um, it's in Vegas in the spring. And then we're doing it in Prague uh, over in Europe in October every year. Yes. It's one of my, it's actually the only conference that I go to anymore because there's no other, I've never been to any other conference where there's no divide between the speakers and the attendees. Mm. And everyone there is working on something cool and willing to share pretty much anything. And that's really where we've met all the people that we talk to online. We have a little mastermind group that we, that we do every couple of weeks and we met everybody at microconf. It's, it's been huge. Mm. Yeah. That's good to hear that. You know, I hear that a lot. I feel the same way about it, which is kind of funny since I organize it. But basically, Mike and I, who host the conference, we wanted to build the conference that we wanted to attend. We couldn't find a conference like what we imagined. And so being able to put MicroConf together and then having having it resonate with so many people was definitely validation of like, ah, there are other people out there who have the same need as us to be around, to be around our people, you know? Because most of the year, you're not. You may have two or three that live in your town yeah, but microconf is where everybody's your people. You know, we're all doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And when did you start the podcast? Uh, we started the podcast in, oh boy, 2010 maybe? I'd have to look back. But yeah, we're on episode 198 comes out next week. Wow. And we weren't weekly for a while. We were twice a month for a while. And then we hit our stride and went weekly. So um, yeah, we're four and a half years in, I'd say. That's awesome. And it, when you started it, was the format the same as it is now? You know, it was it was a little different. We were a we were we were really stiff on the mic, but but b um, format was was really about like just teaching. And Mike and I would get on and just it was almost like a like a lesson. Like an in, each episode was like a mini info product, like a thirty minute info product on doing this. You know, it's like thirty minutes on how to acquire a website or how to market on Facebook or how to do something on AdWords. And because I'm like super tactical and I like people to take actionable notes and action away from anything that I'm talking about. But what we found is that it actually, while that resonated reasonably well, um, 
we found that that leaving ourselves out of the podcast and like not having our personalities and our day to day kind of dealings and and you know what we're doing with our startups actually adding that in later impacted people's engagement. Like they just, they, at that point they buy into your story and then you're not only giving away information, but you're also, you have a relationship with people. Yeah. Early on I would take in everything I could and it all had to be actionable, mm-hmm. but you, you hit a point where you realize that one, it doesn't have to be actionable. And two, if you're just listening, if you're reading everything you can about AB testing and pricing and marketing and all this stuff, you're never actually applying it. You, yep. Yeah, you hit paralysis when you take in all that information because there's so many different bits to take in and there's so many conflicting pieces of advice that you end up thinking that everything you do is wrong and then you actually don't act because yeah. you have too much information. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's just, that's only getting worse. You know, when we started the podcast, there there was not another podcast about startups. This was before Mixergy. This was before... I'm twist this week in startups may have been the only one that I remember if you search for startups and I I take that back. There were some others, but they were, they're gone. I mean, they lasted 10 or 20 episodes. So there wasn't this, this uh, glut I'll say, or just an abundance maybe is is a better way to phrase it of, of audio information on these topics. And as more people have started doing it, I agree. It's almost like, uh, these days, some days, sometimes I don't want any actionable information and I just want, um, to be among my people. I'll, I'll come back to that phrase. It's like I listen to to podcasts just to hear that they're going through the same thing that I am. And it's more motivation, inspiration rather than tactics. Yeah. So when you bought, what did it look like when you shifted the focus to you and Mike? We, we you know, we had a conversation and we, we said two things. One, we're running out of content. We're, we were like 18 episodes in and it was so painful because everything was so tightly outlined and it was like teaching a course. So I said, we don't have enough topics. Like there's only so many marketing topics and there's only so many things we can talk about. That was our first dilemma. The second dilemma was, um, it was, it was feeling stiff and we weren't having that much fun doing it. And with audience wasn't growing that fast. It was decent. We got it. You know, we had both had blogs at the time. So we did get up to around, I think it was like seven or 800 subscribers pretty quick uh, within the first month, but then it kind of stagnated. And so we said, let's just start introducing. We're doing interesting things on a day-to-day basis, right? We're both working on products. We're both launching new things. We have stories to tell. And that was around the time that I started doing a lot of public speaking and I started integrating stories and realizing that integrating tactics with story is like the best way to both capture people's attention, but also to get them to remember stuff. And so I started doing that in my, in my talks and then we started doing it on the podcast and it was, it was pretty quick within, I'd say 10 episodes. It was noticeable. So that's like two months. It was noticeable that people started commenting. They started engaging more. They started asking us questions because we weren't just these kind of robotic lecturers. We had become people that were, you know, kind of like sitting next to you at, at a co-working space, just telling you our, our story. And so from there it ramped up and within 30 episodes, we went back and had this whole, you know, how we quit our jobs. We had like the, uh, basically spent 40 minutes each telling our story from day one, which we never would have thought about in the first 20 episodes. And then that, th- those were the most popular episodes for a couple of years. Um, seen something similar too. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or 
invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And, backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. The thing about podcasts is that you don't get the same feedback loop as you do, say, with like a blog post. Um, you see that people have downloaded it and you you know, you know hear people are listening to it, but there's not really a conversation necessarily happening on the back end. So it's hard to know sometimes what topics are really resonating or most helpful for people. Um, but when we do see a lot of positive feedback coming in, it's been from times where we've done just what you've described. Like uh, we recently had an episode where we opened up um, a topic that um, we're really struggling with as a company that I know a lot of people can resonate with. And uh, we talked with Ryan Singer from Basecamp and he basically kind of coached us through it. And that did amazingly well because um, it is exactly what you described. It's tactical. Um, people can take something away from it, but it's personal and they're really just identifying with your story and the struggles that you're going through. Exactly. And you know, Ruben from BidSketch, the day that came out, it's, it's in my queue. I listen to your podcast, but the day that came out, he emailed me and he's like, have you heard this latest episode? He's like, it's the best episode yet. Like you have to listen to it. And I went and listened to it. I was like, this is great. It's one of my favorites. I also really enjoy the Sean Ellis one, but I'm a Sean Ellis groupie, but yeah, no, it's so cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was from what I've heard, I, and Heat and Shaw, those are the three, my three favorite episodes of your, of your podcast, but those all involved um, stories of, of the founder doing something. And then Brian's was the story of him help, you know, helping you or coaching you or giving advice. And you're right. It's because it, because it's so personal, right? It's almost like you're putting yourself on the hot seat is what it is, right? You're saying, yeah. Hey, it's we difficult. have, yep, it is. We have a vulnerability, but everyone who's listening can, can resonate. They, they resonate with that. Because I did too, as I listened to it, you know, of like, oh yeah, they're in this position. I've been there or I am there. What's Brian, who we all consider to be, uh, you know, uh, a world-class expert on this topic, what's he going to say and what can I take away from it? Yeah. So to share with you, to bring it back on us, we're trying to figure out where to take the rocket ship next and how to build more of a community around it. And um, what is there anything that comes to mind from listening that you think we should do differently? I mean, one thing that I know we don't do is really focus on reviews. And you guys, I, I think you call out certain reviews when they're left mm -hmm. um, yeah. and draw attention to the audience or you know, post certain questions from the audience. What could we do better around that? I think, you know, a couple things come to mind. Off the, I haven't given this thought, but off the top of my head, a couple things. One is uh, you you have permission to be you're you're in my earbuds every week, right? So you can you can talk as long as you don't go way off the reservation. You can talk about your own stuff. It's not selling. Like if you talked about Hookfeed every week and gave an update, I would be interested in that because I'm genuinely curious to hear about it. Because now we have a you know a bit of a, a relationship, right? It's a one way relationship because I'm more consuming your your content, um, but. That would, to me, that would be interesting because again, it's that ongoing story of what you're going through. The second thing is, I think soliciting something that's worked for us. So you know, you have to take this to the grain of salt, but is soliciting questions, right? Either either 
uh, email questions are the ones that come through most often. But if you want to deal with that kind of stuff, if you want to bring someone on and have them hot seat, or if you want to bring experts on and have them hot seat with you, right? Like you did with Brian, I think either of those formats are going to be going to be winners because then it brings the teaching and it integrates it with the story. And the third thing is, you know, Matt, you already brought it up, which is, um, reviews and all reviews do it's it's kind of like some people hate when you when you call the reviews out most people like it and strangely enough i like it when my podcasts read out reviews because it shows me there are other people out there i often hear names that i recognize and i'm like oh i didn't know so and so you know i didn't know matt listened to, to tropical mba but he just left him a review like it's kind of a uh, this podcasting world is not that big and so you know again i call out maybe two reviews every two or three episodes but it's enough that people, it also makes people want to leave reviews because then they get to hear their name, you know, and that's, that's another element of it. So those are kind of ideas off the top of my head. Yeah, that's interesting. You say it's, it's actually a pretty small world. Um, and something that you mentioned in the pre-chat was, um, you've noticed that a lot of people, you know, and recognize have been signing up for drip. Um, and I'm curious what kind of cross pollination there is between, the efforts you're putting in at MicroConf and the podcast and seeing that come back to your actual product. Yeah. You know, before Drip, I have products. There's one called .NET Invoice, which is invoicing software for small businesses. There's Apprentice Lineman Jobs, which is a job board. There was Hittail, which I still own, and that's a, an SEO keyword tool. And then there was a slew of them before that, some of which I still own, most of which I've, I've sold. But all, there was almost no cross-pollination between my what I consider my personal brand, which is microconf, uh, micropreneur.com, the book that I wrote, uh, Start Small, Stay Small, my blog and my podcast. And that's kind of all the personal brand stuff. And that was teaching and sharing and, you know, building the community. Very, very, very few people, literally tens, from what I could tell, it was tens of customers, you know, and Drip has four figure, I'm sorry, Hittail has four figures of, of customers, you know, between one and 2000 customers. And there were tens or dozens of customers that I could tell using Hittail. So it was all blocking and tackling, building up prior to Drip. It's been very interesting with Drip. It was a little unexpected, but it, the... It's email marketing and it helps SaaS and, and, you know, digital product sellers and WordPress plugin sellers. So it makes sense that the audience would have resonated with it, but I didn't predict how many people I would actually know who are using Drip. If I go through the new trials or even go back, you know, go through all the, the customers, I know a, a chunk of them. 30, 40%. And I've either heard of their company, we've emailed, or I just know them through MicroConf. So yeah, I, and I don't know how to, how to necessarily, I mean, obviously that's a good thing because it means, it means that it's, that it's working and that my people trust, trust me, trust that I'm going to do right because to, to, you know, use my app, they have to have some faith in who I am and, and that I'm going to come through for them. It's also a little, I, a little bit, um, it was a little scary early on because it's like, wow, I really got to deliver on this. Not that I didn't already plan to, but you know, it kind of puts you, imagine if you have a major outage, you know, and you stop sending emails or something. And there's a, there's a lot of your friends, essentially, that are relying on on your service. So there's definitely some added pressure there. I've heard you say blocking and tackling a couple of times. What's that? Uh, what I just mean, you know, I'm actually taking that from Dan Andrews of Tropical MBA. He uses that phrase a lot. But it, it's basically, it's just tactics. It's, it's paid acquisition, SEO, content marketing, um, 
anonymous or semi-anonymous cold prospecting. It's all the stuff that you do when you don't have an audience, or it's all the stuff you do when you don't have a, you know, you don't have an audience that you can send to your app. And so that's how I've traditionally grown software products is blocking and tackling. It's all this tactical stuff and it works really well and I've gotten good at it. I've never used my, the power of my audience to, to grow a software product. And some of the reasons are because I haven't had one in that, that resonates with it. But the other is that it, that'll only take you so far. You know, unless you have a massive audience, you can't build a software product and then send your podcast audience there and expect to be at 20, 30 grand a month in revenue. It's just not going to happen. And so the, all the startups that grow, you know, the, the growth startups, look at uh, Kissmetrics or uh, WP Engine or, you know, any of the other dozens, those did not grow based on an audience. They grew based on blocking and tackling right? There's content mm-hmm. marketing and, and SEO and all that stuff. Jason Cohen has an audience. That's not why WP Engine is doing a bazillion dollars a year. It's because they executed, you know, and that's, that's how I've always viewed it. If I really want to scale an app up, you have to execute. You can't rely on an audience, but an audience could be a nice little uh, kickstart, I guess. Yeah, it's a really good kickstart, I think. Um, I imagine that most of the people that were the early users of Drip, you, you have it in a, in a sort of private beta for a really long time, right? Yeah, early access, yep. And were those people basically friends that you've, you've met online, I imagine? Yes. Yeah, that was the, the power of the audience was much more the network rather than the actual revenue. You so know you started saying? with this core of yep. really tight friends, and then you were able to expand beyond that to the audience, which... Also, it seems like your audience is tied in with those people too. They know who they know who they are. Yep. Let's say you had Ruben Gomez as mm-hmm. an early beta user. Once you turn it on, there's people that know who you are and know who he is that are going to become your first users. And it won't take you far, like you're saying, but what a great way to start. Yep. Yep. And the the nature of our world, you know, that we all live in is um, our little startup world is that getting a person like Ruben Gomez or Brennan Dunn or James Deere from Gather Content, these guys know product. So when they give feedback, you know that it's good feedback, right? That's the real advantage, I think, um, is A, they're, they are known in the space. So if they endorse it, that's a good thing. But they also can give you feedback unlike a non-technical customer could, yeah, that's been something that's just huge for us even in doing this podcast is the quality information and the amount that we've learned just through 20 to 30 minute talks with people mm-hmm. um, because we handpick all the people we want to talk to. And it's it's just mind-blowing how open everyone's been. Um, I think back to where we were six months ago before this and and the way we even approach problems and think about them now after all these conversations. And it's it's really changed the way we're going to do business forever. Yep. Yeah. And it, it's amazing that just talking to someone for 20 or 30 minutes, you now have a network that is 10, if not a hundred times better than you did six months ago, because you can just drop someone an email and say, Hey, Heaton Shaw, remember you were on our podcast. I just have one quick question for you and he'll respond. Mm -hmm. And you can go to to new people who also know Heaton. Yep. um, And kind of, leapfrog your way to whoever you want to reach, which is really awesome. That's right. That's right. You know, the one, one thing, one caveat I want to throw in earlier, I said audiences won't allow you to scale up. Um, the, the one place that I, where I've seen that, the, the counter example to that is info products, right? We see a lot of people, you have a Nathan Barrier, Brennan Dunn, or even, 
even me with a conference and, and a book and stuff, there you can, the audience is really valuable, right? And if, so if you're going to sell information or knowledge, then I think audience is critical. And that's where you start with an audience. But if you're going to sell a software product, it's, it's good to start with an audience, but I wouldn't say you have to go build one or that it's necessarily um, something that everyone is capable of doing or interested in doing. Yeah. In order to do software. So I just thought I'd clarify that. I admire the approach that both Brennan and Nathan Berry have taken in, you know, doing the two in conjunction. They're able to to make a living off their info products with uh, the audience that they've built up. And all the while they're doing private betas or, you know, kind of beta stage work with their product where they're not necessarily focused on growing that, but they're they're going through the stages with people they know who are helping them progress and make the product better. And now Brennan's starting to do more with Planscope, but in the beginning, he used that audience twofold. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's the term, you know, that's that difference right there between bootstrapping and self-funding, right? Bootstrapping is when you are, I mean, you're like living in a garage and you're eating ramen. Self-funding is when you have enough, whether it's income or money in the bank, to then fund yourself to do those things. And that's the way those guys are doing it with uh with what Nathan has convert kit and Brennan has uh, plan scope. Yeah. I haven't heard the, the differentiation between those two terms outside of Heaton getting mad at us for saying bootstrapping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely a difference. Uh, Patrick McKenzie and I got in a, a pretty good discussion about it a couple microconfs ago and I think Heaton was there. We were all involved in that. So that's, I've loved that differentiation. It was very eye opening for me to the first time I heard it and to realize that at, the further on you get in your career, um, if you do have some money in the bank or you do have some recurring revenue coming in, then it's like, ah, that's, I am in a different situation. When you're self-funding, you have more flexibility and you can move faster than when you're truly, truly bootstrapping. Tons more. And it's such a balance because you don't, let's say you're doing consulting work. You don't want to pull on so much that you're paralyzing yourself and not being able to work on product, but having something on the side, like having sponsors for the podcast is huge. Yep. yep. Well, awesome. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. uh, Can you let everyone know where they can keep up with you online? Sure. So, you know, if if you're out there and you listen to a podcast, check out Startups for the Rest of Us, obviously available in iTunes or at startupsfortherestofus.com. And I'm on Twitter more often than I should be, to be honest. And I'm at Rob Walling, W-A-L-L-I-N-G. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Indeed. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. 